people try to use contentment as a weapon to silence singles because they're uncomfortable with our malcontent. They're uncomfortable with our longings and our, and our yearnings and our desires, and they don't know what to do with that. Hey, pals. This is Unsuitable with Mary D. Seyfried. It's a podcast for single Christians who are trying to navigate a culture obsessed with marriage without losing our minds in the process. We don't talk about how to get unsingle. We interview single Christians who share stories and their expertise about all those nitty gritty facets of single life your pastor isn't covering. Get ready to be empowered, challenged, and met with a feeling of companionship as we expand the conversation on singlehood in the church. Like what you hear? Rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Today, we are running it back to my conversation at the beginning of season eight with Akemini Uwan. Akemini is a public theologian and co-author of Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation. She is the co-host of the award-winning podcast, Truth's Table, and Get in the Word with Truth's Table. Akemini is also a contributing writer for Hallmark Mahogany, and Christianity Today named her among 10 new or lesser-known female theologians worth knowing. Her writings have been published in The Atlantic, The Washington Post, The Huffington Post, Black Voices, Christianity Today, and The Witness, a Black Christian Collective, to name a few. Akemini has appeared on MSNBC, and her insights are quoted by NPR, CNN, The New York Times, The Washington Post, and The New Yorker, among other publications. As one who is passionate about theology, Akemini has a fierce commitment to the gospel and its implications for issues pertaining to racial injustice, anti-Black racism, and white supremacy. In this episode, you'll hear Akemini and I talk about the unique injustices single Black women face, how to broaden the way we think about contentment, what healthy community in singleness looks like, and ways to uproot shame. Before we dive in, give me 15 seconds to tell you about a free Valentine's Day gift I made for you. Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday fall on the same day this year, so I've created some Ash Valentines for you to download and send to your pals. They're silly and irreverent and perfect for folks who could use a laugh this February 14th. Get yours for free at marybesafer.com slash links. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Hi, Akimini. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Mary B. Glad to be here. So excited that you're here. Um, I've wanted to have you on for a while, and I'm so glad that it's worked out to have you on now, especially after your book came out. When did your book come out again? It was pretty recent, right? April 26, yeah, 2022. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Super recent. So, yeah. <laughs> um, that's just the Lord's timing right there. One chapter in this book is on singleness. And so we're going to talk all about that a little bit later. Before we do, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your podcast. I always love having fellow podcasters on. So you're on a podcast called Truth's Table. Mm-hmm. would love for you to tell the people how that came to be. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's two, two uh, podcasts now. Um, oh, that's yeah. right. Right. Yeah, no, the original one is Truth's Table. The second one is Get in the Word with Truth's Table. And so um, starting with Truth's Table um, is a table built by Black women and for Black women. Uh, we started that um, show with myself, Christina Edmund, Dr. Christina Edmondson, and uh, Michelle Higgins. And that began in March, Women's History Month of 2017. We went into pre-production and um, 
fall of 2016. And yeah, we started that podcast, just seeing that there was a void Mm. in the podcasting space, although it was early to be podcasting, actually, it was early in the podcasting um, industry. This There wasn't quite that much of an industry at that point, but still, um, on what would become the podcasting industry, we saw a void and that there was not a place, you know, for Black women to do um, God talk publicly, to do political analysis, political education uh, on there, to do gender analysis, uh, race analysis. And so we were like, let's build this table. (laughs) Let's build our own table instead of waiting for somebody to come to us. Because that's never going to happen. Nobody's going to be like, you know, gee, I'm really looking for three Black women that are really smart and theological and to, you know, to do a show. So we we did it on our own. And uh, it's been going for Goodness, we're in our sixth season right now. Wow. Myself and Christine are forging forward. Uh, Michelle um, is no longer a part of Truth Table, but I'm now doing ministry full time in St. Louis. And so um, it's been quite a ride, honestly, uh, doing Truth Table um, and just didn't know. You know, when you embark on something, you don't really know you know, how much of an impact it might or might not make. And so it's been mm-hmm. a blessing to see the ways that um, the Truth Table has really uh, been a benchmark um, and a foundation point for even our, our launching pad for even some other podcasts that people have come and told us about. Like, reason why I started my podcast was because of Truth Table and just wow. the way that the, sh- the show has really uh, blessed people. Um, and then the second podcast that we um, that I um, co-host is called Get in the Word with Truth's Table. Um, again, seeing a void in the audio Bible market and the need to hear Black women read the Word of God, uh, mm-hmm. especially since we are actually um, one of the most devout adherents to the faith. It made sense mm-hmm. to do that. And so it's a daily podcast, which is... Whew, a whole different beast <laughs> than a weekly podcast. And I was like, wow, this is, this is not easy. Um, and so we're reading through the whole Bible in a year, reading and praying. And so each episode is no longer than 20 minutes typically. And so um, you'll hear us reading through the Bible and then we pray at the end. And um, yeah, it's been really a, a great experience, really humbling, really eye-opening. Um, and I'm really grateful for it. So we, we're we we're making our way. I think we're on day 240, 259, something like that. So wow. the year's almost over. So we, we're getting there. <laughs> That's such an incredible project, too. I feel like, again, making the switch from a weekly podcast to a daily podcast, or I mean, you're still doing both, but just like mentally having to the stamina to to do a daily podcast, even if it's just for a year, I can only imagine how um, intense that is. It is intense. Absolutely. (laughs) After this, I was like, I need to go. I have to do record an ad for that podcast. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, I finished my recordings for the week for that podcast, but I was like, I got to do an ad. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you're already set up with your... Exactly. Software. I was like, I'm already oh, set up, so I'm good to go. Good to go. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite episode from Truth Table that, I mean, you've done so many, but maybe a recent one that has kind of stuck with you or... Hmm. Gosh, I don't know. That's a tough question. It's like asking a mother to choose her favorite child. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I think uh, it would be hard to say, to be honest. Although this season of Truth Table is pretty unique 
in that mm. um, it was it was pretty, I mean, we did a state of the black church series, which was really, really um, insightful and great. And I really enjoyed bringing all these, um, you know, um, luminaries of the faith, you know, to the table mm-hmm. that that was a real blessing. Um, but it's unique in that we, we did a deep dive into each of our chapters, but a short deep dive to get people to buy them. <laughs> the sure, sure, sure. Can't, can't give the whole thing away. Yeah. I couldn't give the whole thing away. So it has, it's not been our typical season. You know, if you will. So it's hard for me to kind of choose even at least mm-hmm. from this season. But, um, but yeah, I just, I, you know, I, every season is just a different, um, mm-hmm. takes on a different life of, you know, of its own and it's still going right. So there's some more, I'm, I'm actually anticipating some of the episodes we have coming. So we have, so that's why I'm like, I don't know if I have a favorite yet because <laughs> we're still, we're still in production, right? We're still recording. Right. So I'm like, I don't know yet. So you'll have to come back to me with that one. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll circle back to that. Um, <laughs> maybe if you're on the podcast again, it'd be fun. <laughs> so you also wrote a book with the truth table ladies. Yeah called yeah. Truth's Table. How did that come about? Was that something that y'all had been kicking around for a while or were you approached? Yeah, we were we were approached by a couple of different publishers. Um, yeah, for about a year into Truth's Table. But truthfully, the ad- advance just wasn't there. The book advance wasn't there to support, you know, three people yeah. um, that do itinerant, you know, uh, ministry and speaking ministry. Yeah. That's what all three of us did when we first began. And so you have to have enough advance money to say yes to writing a book and no to the speaking opportunities, right? Because yeah, you have to sit down sure. and write and think and read and, you know, do all the things that are necessary and research mm-hmm. in order to write a good book. Um, and and then the pandemic hit and we were presented with another opportunity um, to to write in this time uh, with um, Penguin Random House, Convergent, and the advance um, was much better. And so, you know, because, you know, you got to divvy it up between three people. Yeah. And so, and every all of our speaking opportunities, that was done. There was no travel. There was no nothing. And so we were like, okay, then let's dedicate this time, you know, the time that we thought we were going to have, that we did mm-hmm. not have in the pandemic. But, mm-hmm. you know, the time we just thought we were going to have because of quarantine to write. And so that is uh, what we did. So we embarked on that, um, you know, on this journey to write a book, you know, to kind of um, commemorate, you know, or culminate, you know, um, Truth Table as a trio. And I'm glad we did because I think it's a nice offering that we're able to give to the people um, mm-hmm. as we forge ahead, you know, as a duo. And so, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so you can get all of our thoughts and our words. And, and the essence of the book is like a lot of the topics that we talk about on the show. Yeah. are lifted up and centered in the book. And, and some things that we haven't talked about on the show too. So mm-hmm. so people that know Truth's Table will still be learning new things about us because we are very vulnerable. And the people that don't know anything about Truth's Table will have a, a good introduction <laughs> to what Truth's Table is about. Yeah. What was it like collaborating in the writing process? Um. Yeah. You know, it's funny. One thing about Truth's Table, we just, we trust each other to do what we do and to be excellent at what we do with regard to our expertise in our lanes. And so when we were doing the book proposal, there wasn't that much collaboration. It was more so, okay, what are the four topics that are on your heart, on your mind, put them in the, in the book proposal. What are your four, Michelle? What are your four, Christina? That's really how it went, to be honest. And then we, we wrote, (laughs) and we wrote just, 
you know, grinding it out, wrote, wrote, yeah. wrote. And then it wasn't until the editing process on Zoom, because we wanted to mm-hmm. do it in person, but we couldn't. We, we would have, our preference, had, had we had our way, we would have wanted to do it at the house, at the Penguin Random House yeah. with our editor live reading. But because of the pandemic, we weren't able to do that. So we did that on Zoom. Mm. So that's when we heard, when we're finally going through the edits, that's when we heard each other's chapter. I read out loud, okay, stop. Can you clarify that? Or uh, maybe take that out because the connotation of that, you know, and like, or the implications of that, that was literally how we edited the book. And that's when we heard each other's contribution. Say live editing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what you're doing. Wow. Yep. After we all wrote our portions, we came together for several Zoom sessions to read through the book <laughs> from the introduction to the end. And, you know, I write the introduction together and then the yes. conclusion together. And yeah. yeah. And the segues. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I feel like divide and conquer method. I love that. But then coming together to edit and then to make it, you know, flow. That's right. Seems like, I don't know, seems like a good method to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it worked <laughs> out. So it, seemed, it seemed to be good, you know, and people seem to really be um, loving it. I think a, a treat or what's been nice about um, the book or a blessing is just to see the way that people are really connecting, you know, with the book. And then even Oprah Daly listed mm-hmm. uh, Table's book as um, um, one of 15 uh, best spiritual books to read. And so that was really like, whoa, okay. And so that was really, really cool. So, you know, we're just trying to be faithful, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about your singleness chapter in the book in a second. But before we deep dive into that, I would love for you to tell the people a little bit about your spiritual journey and background. Doesn't need to be all tidy or anything just to give everyone a sense of where you're coming from. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm originally from California. I was um, uh, definitely a church kid. I was baptized and um, catechized and all of those, all mm-hmm. of those um, things in the Lutheran Church. Uh, my parents are Nigerian immigrants, and so, um, and yeah, so I, I'm first gen, and was raised in a church, but really the faith had not really come. Was not my own. Um, I would, I really didn't come to a saving faith until I went to college, senior year in college is, um, when I really was like, Oh my goodness. Wow. Like I've really felt like I had an encounter, um, with mm-hmm. God and I felt like I heard the gospel for the first time. It wasn't the first time I heard it, but it felt like it was the first time. Um, cause it somehow it really did actually remove the scales from my eyes. So I was like, Oh wow. You know, like, and so, yeah, it was, I remember hearing going to a um, black non-denominational church at the time, egalitarian church and, um, called Hope's house and, um, pastor uh, Andrea Humphrey preached the word. And when she gave the call for salvation of the altar, I went down by God's grace and I'm, and I've been running for the Lord ever since. So been mm-hmm. walking and running for Jesus for a long time quite some time. Um, now, honestly, it's, it's not been easy. <laughs> it's definitely had its challenges in that thing. You know, the sufferings we share in the sufferings of Christ. I know that people don't like to hear that, but that's just true. Um, but there, it has been, um, a true blessing to know that I'm a child of God and no longer an enemy of God. Mm-hmm. Cause I remember when I was, um, mm-hmm. an enemy and, um, 
it was, uh, I'm just really glad that um, the Lord came and saw about me. And so, um, so it's an honor to be a servant of the Lord, a public servant um, of the Lord, although it's hard, although it's difficult, although it has its challenges um, and it's not as glamorous as whatever people see or perceive, let me say whatever people perceive, let me say on social media and yeah, you know, whatever people project, you know, it's not, it's not, things are not quite what they, they seem, you know, but, um, but yeah, it's been a blessing, honestly, to, um, yeah, just to be in the Lord. I'm really grateful for that. Really grateful. Mm -hmm. I love that. Now, you know, to get a little more specific, I would love to hear about your experience as a single woman in the church. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. I think for single black women, I think it's a, it's a unique quandary, Mm -hmm. I would say, because it's systematically engineered, Mm -hmm. you know, our singleness. It is the result of heinous crimes against humanity that have been committed against our people from the transatlantic slave trade to U.S. child slavery to mass incarceration. And so that has quite literally swept up a generation <laughs> of mm-hmm. Black men who would otherwise be in the marriage pool yeah. that are not available in abundance to Black women who want to be married to Black men. And so it is uh, a true Injustice of epic proportions has serious implications for our community, and it's lamentable in that regard. But even our Black women who want to marry, who are open to marrying interracially, find themselves at the bottom of the totem pole due to racism, right? And due to stereotypical tropes about Black women and not being desired, right? In the ways that our white, our Latine, or even Asian you know, sisters might be desired. And so that is another source of pain. I know, I know sisters that, that are totally open, you know, to wanting to, to date outside or trying to broaden their uh, dating pool. And they are still turning up with the same results uh, due to that. And so it's a true travesty, you know, it's one thing to not desire marriage or not, you know, not want to be a partner. And that, that's your prerogative. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> uh, but it's another thing when you do desire it and you cannot actualize that. Yeah. You know, and it really takes a miracle <laughs> from from God for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Then on the other hand, so that's the systemic portion. Then yeah. there's also the the theological malpractice within the church where marriage is idolized and put on the pedestal and married people are ascribed this like level of maturity that singles haven't attained because they are single, right? So there's also that theological malpractice um, that is harmful and dangerous that does map on, you know, to singles. I think in my own experience, I, because I'm in um, the Black church, which there are a host of variety of Black churches. So this this does happen in the Black church. Just my particular ones, uh, maybe because there were so many um, black women there that held it down, I didn't hear that too too much. I mean, here and there, I think more than anything, I experienced some uh, lack of how can I say 
care or protection in certain church spaces, right? So, I, you know, I've had the experience of having a very misogynistic pastor who would say things that were unseemly and dishonorable and disreputable that ought not be said from the pulpit. And, and yeah. he would say those things about women. And so mm-hmm. what does it mean for you as a single woman to go and confront that yeah. that male pastor, right? And you don't have any covering as we would say or protection because you know because people people coalesce around power and so you're left because of the power dynamics you're left to either fend for yourself or be iced out and so that's what i've experienced is spiritual abuse in that way Hmm. and yeah and of course there are sermons and things where you hear marriage idol idols i'm not trying to act like i haven't heard that i absolutely have but more so the ways it's i have seen myself disadvantaged as a single person is when an ethical issue comes up. And because I am a deeply justice oriented person Mm. and I think critically, you know, about things that are said, particularly about women (laughs) Mm. from the pulpit, then, you know, and it has to be redressed when there is a sin, when you, when you are objectifying women from the pulpit, that has to be addressed. That's not a small thing. Yeah. You know? So, so those are some of the, like the systemic, factors, the interpersonal, and then even the theological. So there's some layers to my own experience as a single Black woman in church spaces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Or Black church spaces. Mm-hmm. Something you talk about in the book as well is the particular experience of um, being a single Black woman who's never been in a relationship, maybe some situationships here and there, right. um, where that adds a whole other layer as well which just kind of, I don't know, speaks to the breadth of experience of singles mm-hmm. in the church, where each has its own kind of particular challenges. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt about it. You know, but it was something that at first I was like, oh, I felt so insecure about that. But then after kind of going public with it, I was like, oh, there's a lot of people, which makes sense, actually, uh, especially if they're if they're Black women, it makes sense, actually, that they also like, oh, me too. I thought I was the only one. And so that was, I guess, sad to discover, but also comforting in that knowing you're not the only one, you know, that's experienced this. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. One of the things I appreciate about your chapter and that you've spoken to in this episode so far is, um, you know, how much time you spent talking through these systemic factors that particularly affect single Black women. And one other thing you touched on in the chapter is how much of the advice tends to be maybe focused on like individual solutions. So putting the onus on singles to do more or do less as, right. as the case may be. I'm just curious how you, how you respond to that kind of advice and if that's changed over the years. Yeah. So you mean like, um, indivi- like uh, you mean like about our like exterior? You should, or- put, you should put yourself out there more or you, you know, that makes it seem like we're not doing enough or we're the problem. Right. Yeah. 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 So yeah, you should put yourself out there. But I mean, I mean, there is some truth to that, right? You, you do need to, you know, you do have yeah, to yeah, yeah. do what you, you know, um, you know, you do have to put in the work in order yeah. for, for this to happen. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it isn't, it doesn't all fall, you know, on the individual. This is something, again, this is, you know, I always liken and make the comparison between 
singleness and infertility. Mm. I would say particularly for women, because men have men can decide today that they want to get married and they could go find somebody and get married. They can. Mm -hmm. That's just the way it is. Okay. I know we don't, that's that's just the way it is. You know, um, marriage benefits men to a degree more than women in the grand scheme of things, according to the data. Right. And it favors them because of the marriage markets. And so, but I do liken singleness with infertility in that, the Lord is the one that puts people together mm. that of that. I am convinced, you know, and and it's like when it comes to inf- infertility, it's the, the Lord is the one that opens and closes the womb. Like, you know, and you know, you, I, I know plenty, plenty of women who have struggled with infertility for many, many years. And then they have, and then the Lord, you know, by, by God's grace, answered their prayer and granted them their child. And then those who have struggled and struggled and struggled and have passed childbearing years and did not have children, you know. And then I know singles uh, that have died. One of my my mentor who longed and longed, longed for marriage, single Black woman, loved the Lord, and she, she passed away, passed away at a very, very young age. And yeah, and never got to be, never got to be married, right? And so at the end of the day, it is the Lord that puts people together. We do our part. We do what we need to do, you know, or or we don't. Sometimes. And you know what? Because God is gracious, God sometimes still does it. And I've seen God do it, you know, because there's this, oh, well, do this, right? Or don't be bitter or don't know us or, you know, do this and do that. I'm like, do you know how many mean and bitter people I know that are married today? And they didn't change. They didn't do this. They didn't do that to go get their, to get their man or get their, get their um, woman. They they didn't have to do all of that, you know? So I think Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I think we have to realize that the blessings that we have are gifts from God. We do not earn them. Mm. What we earn are wages. (laughs) (laughs) And do we really want to earn wages from God? Because the wages of our sin is death. That's Mm. okay. I'm like, I don't think we want to. (laughs) <laughs> things from God. I don't think so. I think we want God's gracious gifts that come via blessings. And mm. so I think that, so I think there's a sense in which we have to just trust the Lord. Yes. Do what we have to do. Get on the dating apps or, or tell your community to, if you know of somebody, you know, I think there yeah. is a sense in which um, our faith has to be attached to something where there's, there's, there's a, there's a step of faith, you know, or, 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 mm-hmm. that, that we have to continually give, if it's your desire to continually bring that to the Lord and, and mm-hmm. bring that to maybe trusted friends, you know, um, Hey, can you look out? Can you, you know, what do you think about this person? You know, I have my eye yeah. on this, you know, whatever, do what you need to do um, in order to get what it is that you desire. But at the end of the day, the results <laughs> and the outcome belongs to God. And um, yeah. I think that's hard to accept for people because it's just not, marriage is not a blood-bought promise. Mm-hmm. It's just not. Everybody's not going to get married. And despite people's, you know, beliefs and, and wanting it to be a blood-bought promise, but it's not in there. It's not in the book, y'all. It's not a yeah. blood-bought promise. So what are you going to do <laughs> if it's not in God's will for you to be married? You have got to find, by God's grace, contentment. Right, um, mm-hmm. and satisfaction because we know that co- g- godliness with contentment really is of great gain, but it's hard to get there. It, um, yeah. it's, it, it can be hard to get there, but 
but yeah, I, I, yeah. So, I mean, when people say, you know, you do this, do that, do that, do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can contort and do all these things, but you know, this is not, we can't earn this thing. Mm. And marriage is not an achievement. Yeah. If I roll in college and I go to class and do all those things, you know, like that's an achievement. I applied. I did everything I was supposed to. Well, I don't, they don't do SATs anymore. But whatever. I did all of the benchmarks and all of the things that are required, you know, to, for me to graduate from college. That's an achievement. Mm-hmm. Marriage is not an achievement. It is a yeah. gracious gift. It's wonderful. But it, there's no like school of marriage where I can go and roll. And then four years later, I'm going to have my husband. That's that right. does not exist. It's not an achievement. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and and it's not um, marriage is not human marriage. Let me say, you know, um, marriage between man and woman is not eternal. We yeah. will all eventually be single again. Mm-hmm. You know? And so on this side, that's the unfortunate reality, right, of what it means to love someone and lose, you know, mm-hmm. someone. But, you know, we know that that's, that's not ultimate, you know, um, marriage, you know, among um, each other is just not, it's not ultimate. But friendship is. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> covenantal friendship is that is eschatological. We will have friendships in glory when the bridegroom and the bride, the church, the bridegroom Jesus are joined together. You know, we will all be together there worshiping around God's throne, which is just I can't wait for that day. But it's it's a good desire, you know, mm-hmm. to have, especially in this this hard world, a beautiful yeah. but hard world. <laughs> If you can go with somebody, you know, along the journey, then whew, thank God, you know. Yeah. But um, if you if if God doesn't have that for you, we have to believe and know that God does provide in different ways, and we know mm-hmm. that Jesus is with us, even when we can't feel him. Yeah, yeah. We'll get back to the conversation in just a minute. First, I want to tell you about our Patreon community. If you're single and you've been in the church for more than approximately five minutes, you've probably noticed it's low to high key obsessed with marriage. This can make singles feel like outsiders in the community where we should feel most at home. That's why we've started a Patreon community. When you join our Patreon community, you get access to some awesome bonuses like ad-free full interviews, bonus episodes, and a live monthly Q&A call. All you have to do is head to patreon.com unsuitable, choose which tier is best for you, and sign up. It's exhausting to feel like you're carving a path for yourself on your own. We're here to walk with you as you are where you are. Tiers start at just $5 a month. Head to patreon.com unsuitable. I can't wait to see you there. All right, now back to the conversation. One thing I would like to hear a little bit more about is your relationship with your mentor. How did that come about? Can you tell us more about her? Oh, yeah. Well, I have a I have a couple of different uh, mentors. You mean the one that passed away? Yes. Oh, yes, yes. Um, yeah. So she um, so at my church where the church where I got saved um, at a Hope's House, I was a part of this discipleship ministry called uh, Me Management, uh, which Pastor uh, Teresa or Elder Teresa Ordell um, started. And it was like a year long discipleship program where every month had a module, me and my emotions, me and my heart, me and my mind me and my body. Like I just, it was very holistic and comprehensive. I loved it. And, um, I had actually two, technically three mentors that actually taught the class. And every week we got together, uh, together. I was in a cohort of like maybe 12 other 
um, women. And every week we got together for about two to three hours, probably on a Wednesday or maybe Thursday night, I want to say, after work from about seven to about 10, kind of going through our modules. We had homework and scripture memorization. And I loved it. Love, love, loved it. You know, and, uh, you know, she was somebody that really um, embodied, you know, what it means to be a Christian, Mm -hmm. you know, wholeheartedly, very uh, excellent, you know, had a spirit of excellence, very regal, you know, so somebody Mm -hmm. you, you know, you looked up to and and I was fresh out of college, you know, so she, you know, she was just always just so, so beautiful, sung sung on a praise team, Mm -hmm. you know, um, was a a school teacher. So, you know, just very, just had her stuff together. (laughs) (laughs) She was absolutely uh, goals, you know, and so, um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm grateful for her influence in my life and in modeling what it means, you know, to follow the Lord and to have the gospel inform the way you move through the world, from your career to your personal life. She was always really transparent about what was going on in her personal life, to uh, how you show up at church, to yeah, I don't know. She it, oh yeah, how you take care of yourself. Your body, mm-hmm. she was into, you know, physical fitness as well. And so, um, yes, she's somebody that uh, absolutely was a good mentor and good role model for me to emulate. And now I'm, I think about it, I was like, wow, now I'm at the age uh, that she was when I mm-hmm. first, like, encountered her. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a trip, you know, to reflect on her life and her, her legacy. Yeah. She was really a blessing. And I, I, I've been blessed to have quite a few mentors, you know, um, in the faith. And so yeah. um, I'm grateful for her influence. Yeah. I love that you got such a great picture of, you know, something that we talk about on the podcast is kind of expanding our collective imagination for what's possible for uh, life as a single person. That's right. And so just having that really powerful model right out of college yeah. that yeah. you know gives you that gives you that picture of what you know this is a person um who is excellent who carries herself with dignity That's right. um and who is in a position of authority teaching people mm-hmm. it's huge yes absolutely yeah very very huge you know i hadn't really thought about it but it's yeah very influential you know to see that mm-hmm. coming <laughs> coming out of college at what 22 you know 21 yeah. 22 you know so yeah big deal yeah I love that. One other thing you talked about a little bit earlier was finding contentment in, you know, singleness. And that's a big thing that a lot of people talk about. But I would just be curious to hear your perspective on, you know, how you've how you've wrestled with that idea and maybe where you've where you've landed on it. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know when people say contentment, I know it, it, it can be triggering. Um, yeah. I think because it'd be like, well, you know, you know, because I think people have a narrow view of contentment, I think you can actually be content and dissatisfied. (laughs) Content in that I know that nothing can stop the will or thwart the will of God in my life, right? Also, um, dissatisfied or um, malcontent with the circumstances, you know, that have precluded me (laughs) from this good gift that God created. And I think I think it's a righteous anger in there, right? Given 
the context of what I've, I what I spoken about earlier with the systemic racism and the the, um, the, the systemic and structural mechanisms of oppression that have excluded Black women. You know, there's a real like, no, 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 there's a real external <laughs> factors. There's real external forces here that have excluded me from participation in this um, institution at the moment. That could change. I, you know, that that could change. You know, God can change it a year from now. I, it could be a different story. I don't know. <laughs> you know, um, and I think that's kind of what it, I think there's there's the tension there, right? Of like, yeah. okay, this is this is where God has me for. Ultimately, like, yes, systemic factors, yes, interpersonal, yes, theological stuff, yes, colorism, yes, all those things. But ultimately, God has not overrode those things in order to bring my spouse yet. Mm-hmm. Why? I don't know. I don't know. And God can, yeah. <laughs> but God hasn't. You know, and I think that that is where you get. So, disappointed or you can get angry or you could get bitter because you know God can. Mm. I think that's what makes it difficult or hard. But I think that when it comes to contentment, it doesn't mean that you still don't desire those things. It doesn't mean that you still don't ask God for those things. But I think it means that you do not operate from a place of lack or deficit because what you don't want to do is operate from a place of desperation as if we don't serve a God of abundance, you know, and believing that that God can do this, you know, if it is in God's will. And if you still have the desire, keep giving it to God. You know, God has over and over in scripture told us to ask, seek, knock, right? Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You know, there wasn't like just one time. This is a perpetual asking, seeking, and knocking. Um, You think about the persistent widow, you know, uh, like there's always these invitations to persist in prayer. (laughs) Mm. You see Hannah, you know, um, but I call Hannah prayers, praying to herself in the temple, you know, night and day, just bringing it to the Lord. In her case was infertility. But again, those are real, for me, are very identical, very much identical, at least in my own framework, in my own imagination, in my own experience. But there's that tension there. But I think there's a sense in which you can be content, like, okay, God, this is what you have for me. I'm going to make the best and the most of what you called me to do. <laughs> I'm on mission. I know what you called me to do. And I'm going to execute and do what you've called me to do. And yet still continue to lift this desire up to you. And then when you get a piece or you get, because there's, there's seasons where I just have a like, okay, like it is what it is where I'm just like, there's sometimes where I'm like, oh, I don't even really pray about it that much anymore. I'm not mm-hmm. in that season now, but there have been times I'm like, okay, I don't even pray about it anymore. I'm just because I'm like, okay, well, the Lord will do it. And that's not a lack of faith. It's just, or I, or sometimes it's just, I, or there are times where I'm just exhausted. And, I, mm. and my friends at my village will pray about it for me. Mm. We can borrow each other's faith. Yes. <laughs> we can do that um, in the kingdom. And so, and they'll, and they'll pray, you know, on my behalf, you know, so yeah, I don't know. There's a tension. That's, that's the, that's what it means to be a Christian living in tension, right? Life out of death and the already and not yet God's kingdom has arrived, but it's not fully here. And this world is wild and crazy. And yet God is still on the throne. (laughs) There's just this tension. The world is just hard and ugly and yet beautiful and wonderful at the same time. Uh, That's the tension of living, you know, on this side. But yeah, I don't, people try to use contentment as a weapon Mm. to silence singles because they're uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> with our malcontent, you know they're yeah. they're uncomfortable 
with our longings and our, yeah. and our yearnings and our desires, and they don't know what to do with that, right? Or or mm-hmm. they've also and and they're on the other side of it, and they've experienced marriage and how difficult that can be, right? And they're or sometimes they're like, I wish I could switch places with you. So there's a mm-hmm. whole lot of things going on when people throwing up the uh, contentment trump card. You know what I mean? Because that, that's yeah. what people will do. They use it as a trump card. Um, and they mm-hmm. use it in a way that's un- unloving. But when I'm talking about contentment, I'm talking about something that, no, nah, this is spirit rock. Like I, I got here mm-hmm. through much, much wrestling, yeah. <laughs> uh, much, much prayer and fasting, much mm-hmm. waiting, much yeah. trials and tribulations and much ghosting. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, Lord. I'm, listen, I'm like, this is, I'm not talking about something I don't know. I'm, I'm talking right. from lived experience. And so yeah. when I talk about contentment, but I know the ways that it's been weaponized because it's been weaponized yeah. against me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Gosh, that's so real. I think like when I hear people talk about contentment, even if it's other single people, like I'll have that like kind of gut reaction yeah. of, um, you know, there's an element of like, I don't know, spiritual bypassing to it, right? Where it's like, right. uh, so I'm curious to hear like how your friends, you know, you spoke about your community mm-hmm. um, who would pray for you. Like, what are some ways that your community showed up for you and that have been really helpful and really life-giving as you've kind of walked through this? Yeah, yeah. I think um, for me, yeah, I think it's f- family, you know, always... I, I'm really close with my family. So um, mm. f- friends always checking in to see how I'm doing, um, always allowing me to s- express whatever I'm feeling in my, you know, my emotions about, mm. um, about my single status, always bringing it before the Lord on my behalf, you know, even, even when I don't know they're doing it, <laughs> they're yeah. doing it. Um yeah, I, I, my family and friends have been good about that. They've not really, um, it's mid more associates, right? People that are not close to me mm. that are like contentment, you know, or, yeah. or just when you're not, when you're not looking, it'll happen. Well, that's the one that gets a wonder. Don't even but okay. start that. <laughs> That's the one that gets a wonder. I'm like, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. so, or I never wanted to get married. You've been married for 15 years. Okay. Good for you. That is not yeah. my testimony. Um, <laughs> No, but yeah, my, my own village has been very um, supportive and, you know, and that they, they too, you know, are sorrowful about it in the, in that, like, they're like, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> you know, mm. where they, where it's, it's a mystery, you know, uh, to them too. And so they kind of, they're really good at reaping, weeping with those who weep and mm. rejoicing with those who rejoice. They're very good at that. You know, mm. um, and so I'm I'm glad to say that I've had the opposite of Job's community or Job's friend. Mm. Um, and a lot of people can't say that. Yeah. I have I have not had the finger. Well, if you just did this, well, if you just did that, you know, or I haven't had that. And and part of it is that I am a self starter. I am that type of person. You know, I mean, I'm entrepreneurial in that way. So I'm kind of like I'm gonna do everything that's in my power. You know, to know that, no, I left it all in the paint. Like, no, I've, yeah. I've done everything, you know, because that, that mm-hmm. for me, I just need to know. I'm like, okay, well, I've exhausted all an- avenues, y'all. <laughs> yeah. And it still hasn't happened. You know, so part of it is that they also see the effort that I am pu- that I put in. And, uh, yes. um, you know, I think that's also part of it, too. So they see it because I don't live my life in secret. Right. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very transparent 
with uh, my village and those who need to know, you know, the inner desires, you know, of my heart that I share with. Mm -hmm. I'm very transparent. And I think that's part of operating in the gift of faith is being able to speak out what you want to people Mm -hmm. so that people can pray, you know, allow Mm -hmm. people to join you in prayer for what it is that you desire. I don't think there people want to make you ashamed for that desire, but I'm like, I'm not going to be shamed for a good desire. You know, Mm -hmm. people have bad desires all day long and people root them all, you know, (laughs) but a good desire is all of a sudden like, Oh no, no, no. You just need to be content and independent woman. Oh goodness. No, Mm -hmm. I'm over it. I'm so But yes, they have, they have always been really, really supportive. They showed up in some ways, in some very, very real ways, meals, shelter, Mm. you know, come be with us. You know, uh, I don't want you to be alone. Come stay with us, you know, because we don't want you there by yourself if you don't need to be and why not? And like tangible, tangible ways people have supported me and I'm grateful for that. So I thank God for that. Um, Mm. So Thanking God, even in the midst, you know, of not yet having what I desire, um, mm. has been helpful. Yeah, that's so huge, and I feel like not all that common to have people who are so attuned and so aware, and that you're so connected with to the point that you're close enough for them to see what you're doing and all that you're working yes. towards, and so they're not putting out that unhelpful advice because they know it's. you know, yes, it was a matter of doing more or doing things a certain way, you know, it would already have happened. It would be done. done. And and, and truthfully, if I wanted to be married to just any old body, I'm sure I could. Mm. Who wants to be married to just any old body? That is the second most important decision you're going to make behind choosing God back, okay, because God chooses us first. But you know, <laughs> choosing God back, receiving the Lord. Uh, that's the second most important decision you will make in your life. And it has serious implications. You know, this okay. is wh- who you marry can really change the trajectory of your life for mm-hmm. better or worse. It's not a small thing. So, you know, we don't want to operate from a place of lack or desperation just to yeah. be married for the sake of marrying. It's already hard enough to be married to the person God has for you. How much more somebody that you just, <laughs> you know, you selected because you're like, I got to get married to my biological clock and ah, whatever the pressure is, you know, in your mind, whatever that timeline, that deadline is in your mind. I'm like, my goodness. No, I'm I'm okay. I can do bad all by myself, as we say in our community. So, yeah. Yeah. You spoke a little bit about, well, in your chapter on singleness in the book, you you talk about recovering from shame. And this may be like, goes hand in hand with the conversation on contentment. But I'm curious if you could talk us through that process of healing and and wrestling through shame. Yeah. So yeah, in the book, Truth Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation, and my chapter is Hidden in Plain Sight, A Single Black Woman's Manifesto. I ended up sharing a whole lot more in that chapter than I expected. And it is the longest chapter in the book, rightfully so, uh, because it's a very... I mean, I could have written a whole book on that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) on that topic. I did not, and I will not, uh, because it's contrary to popular belief. That's not actually my ministry. Um, I'm just somebody that's, you know, that is single uh, at Mm -hmm. the moment. Um, We'll see what the Lord says different. But yeah, shame. Yeah, I think a lot of it was, you know, internalizing the messages, you know, from the church, some of the, the toxic messages from the church, you know, about how, 
you know, marriage being the pinnacle and being an idol, you know, in the church and from the world, right? Where everybody has to have a love interest or everybody has to, it's going on all these dates, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, or whatever, you know, you know. (laughs) Trying to, this is, there's always a love interest. There's always sex. There's always, you know. And so I think in some ways seeing a deficit comparing mm-hmm. myself and going like, okay, there must be something wrong with me because mm. these things are not happening for me. Uh, like yeah. the way they're happening for everybody else, you know, around me or even on TV. So there was a lot of shame, I think, or because I would get close and then it wouldn't happen. Right. Or, you know, it, it, the situation ships. And so yeah. it's like, what? So all this time wasted and all these talking and all these games mm. and for what? You know, like, you know, if it didn't materialize into an actual relationship, then what are we doing, right? So you get all the heartache without the title, right? That's what I I mentioned that in the book. And so I had to work through a lot of the shame. The ways that I did that was um, through a lot of prayer, through peer mentorship too, as well, but also from my um, other mentor, Stephanie, who is still my mentor. She's my first mentor. When I came to faith, and she still is. Uh, actually, I need to send her a text. Actually, yes, I'm gonna text her. <laughs> she texted me earlier, and I did text her back, but I needed to update her on something else. Anyway, um, so I, <laughs> so but I talked to her, you know, pretty often. Uh, typically, I've just had a pretty be- busy season, so we talk maybe about twice a month, typically. But yeah, time has been a little off. But yeah, I think through that, just being undoing the um the internal dialogue of me. I mean, but it also mapped onto my own self-loathing about my mm-hmm. appearance. So it's, it's very layered. My shame stuff was very layered with colorism, which mm-hmm. I talk about in chapter one, which is the first chapter of the book is the audacious perseverance of colorism, which is why mm-hmm. that, that chapter is important to read. I'd say even before the hidden in plain sight, uh, the mm-hmm. singleness one, because it actually gives the part of the layer of why I'm single as well. It is also mm-hmm. because of colorism um, yeah. as well. The ways that um, dark skin uh, people, colorism is uh, discrimination against dark, darker skin people simply because yeah. they are dark skin, right? So the lighter you are, the closer that you are to phenotypical whiteness, the more privileges, benefits, money, better marriage partners you get than a person that's darker skin like me. Mm. And so that is uh, also another significant, significant layer that cannot be overestimated Mm. in part of why, you know, I'm also um, single. So it was my own self-loathing and um, my own self-perception as well that also played into that shame too. So I had to do a lot of undoing that through prayer, through affirmations, through speaking the word over myself, speaking what's true over myself mm. as well until I actually believed that I had to do a lot of work, you know, to dig myself out of that pit of self-loathing by the power of the spirit, you know, and that took years to do that and a real determination to be able to uproot that thing. And a lot of that was private work. Yeah. I didn't tell people I had issues with my colorism. A lot of people didn't know that, Probably didn't know that until they read the book. Or maybe they haven't read the book yet. They're gonna find out when they read the book. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's that's just the the reality of it. Part of it was my community, but part of it was me solo, me and Jesus. Yeah. Because some people didn't know that I had significant issue 
when it came to my appearance and with mm. regard to colorism, they don't know the depths. They didn't know how deeply embedded that was within my spirit and my psyche. Mm. Yeah. And it seems like the kind of thing that would really take so much of the Holy Spirit to uproot such a deeply ingrained oh, yeah. belief. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. That you can't will yourself out of that. I mean, yeah. will is only going to take you so far. It really had to be the spirit mm. uprooting that. And uh, yeah, it took a lot of work, a lot of yeah. work. I mean, I, w- I wish I had the truth table book back then. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I wrote it. I, I wrote that. I wrote the particularly colorism. I wrote that one to my younger self. Absolutely. Mm. You know, I had to, because I had to access that, that place, you know, and because it was, a, you know, it was a really, uh, it was such a long time ago, but well, it wasn't, mm. it was, yeah, somewhat long time ago, but yeah, it took a lot of work you know, to do that. Mm. And I wish I had, I really do. I wish I had like actual theological, you mm. know, uh, understanding of colorism. I wish that was available yeah. to me back then. It, I wouldn't have had to do so much work, <laughs> That's right. but if I didn't do the work, then I wouldn't have been able to offer what I offered in um, the audacious perseverance of colorism, that chapter. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's such a, one of the powerful things about being called to write or to speak publicly is that you really get to be that person that you wish you had, or you really get to give that message that you wish you had Mm -hmm. and help other people from having to go through the same extent of work or not being able to, not even knowing how to do that or not having words Mm -hmm. for what they're experiencing that um, putting words and kind of being the the trailblazer in that way, I think is, is such a huge, a huge part of the calling. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It it is. It's, and it's not easy. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. It's not easy, but yeah. Mm. Well, I have just two last baby questions for you. Okay. The first one is, how can we support you? Where can that we was, get your uh, book? Where can we follow you on the internet? All that jazz. Yes, yes, yes. So you all can get the book, Truth Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation, wherever books are sold. It's at Barnes and Nobles. It's at Target. I think Target.com. It might be in the Target store. I was at Target earlier. I should have checked. Um, Mm -hmm. But it is at Barnes and Nobles for sure. I've seen it there. Walmart, online, anywhere, honestly. Amazon. You go there. (laughs) Bookshop.org if you want to support and you should support local small bookstores, particularly bookstores owned by people of color. Yeah. Yeah. We honestly, wherever books are sold, you can get the truth table book. Um, and then you can follow me on Twitter at sister underscore theology on Instagram at Sista Theology. This is S-I-S-T-A Theology. My website, if you would like to bring me in to speak or do trainings or, you know, DEI, anti-racism, any of those things, or speak on any of the topics that are within the um, Truth Table book as well, or I speak on other political topics too. My website is systematictheology.com, which is S-I-S-T-A-M-A-T-I-C. T-H-E-O-L-O-G-Y. So systematic. It's a play on systematic theology, which is my favorite theological discipline. Um, Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash sister theology. So that would be my fan page. So you can keep up with me uh, there. And of course, you can listen to Truth's Table. You could subscribe and listen and then get in the word with Truth's Table. You can also subscribe and listen and support. We have Patreons for Truth's Table that 
you know, that you can support and that will support both podcasts. So if you've been blessed (laughs) by our work, we invite you to support. Amazing. And all of that information will be in the episode description. So people, it's nice and easy to find and all the spelling will be there as well. Yes. My last question for you is, uh, will you tell me one thing that's hard right now and one thing that's great? Oh, goodness. There's actually a lot of hard things. Um, So (laughs) I am right now kind of like, um, goodness, yeah, I'm like trying to pick between the hard things. Hmm. Goodness. Um, I'm kind of actually, there's actually been a lot of a a shift a little bit in my own public ministry. So I'm just trying to like assess what the, what the next step is. There's just a lot of transition. There's a lot of irons in the fire, you know, if you will. And so right now what's hard is um, trying to determine which way to go <laughs> yeah, and what to do, you know, and which like, Lord, can you just land like, just, just one of these, can we settle a couple of these things, you know? Mm-hmm. So just trying to chart that course uh, in the midst of wanting to knowing I need to do more writing and do my own book, but I'm like, I just don't have the bandwidth, you know, to do that at the moment, which is a Mm. little frustrating, but it is what it is. You know, some of these other things take some priorities, you know, with a lot of the, um, the economic situation right now, I'm like, I I just have to shore up some things because everything's, there's some serious economic volatility that Mm. I think (laughs) we're trying to ignore just like we're trying yeah. to ignore this pandemic and it's like, it will not be ignored. Um, and yeah. so I'm just trying to really um, get my bearings and try to prepare for that. Yeah. You know, as a millennial, we've been through our shares of economic downturns. And at this point, it's pretty traumatic. And, like, and I'm like, I want to be prepared this time around. <laughs> you know, and so I think I'm just trying to settle some things in my in my life, um, even financially speaking, just trying to get that, get my 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 bearings you know um, yeah f- you know for what might come you know economically yeah. and then not to mention politically oh gosh that's a whole nother, yeah another uh another beast but uh what's going good i'm grateful for my health mm. i really am i'm grateful for my health i'm grateful for my body um that i can move my body fitness is really really important to me i work out five times a week and so I'm dogmatic about that. And I am grateful that I can, you know, I'm grateful I can put in two hours very early in the morning and get it done, you know, so I'm grateful for that. And so that's going good. I'm grateful for my health, grateful that I'm able to go to doctor's appointments and get a good report. Mm. Uh, Yeah, because it could go another way. And so grateful. That's right. Well, Akemini, thank you so much for being here. This was so lovely. Thank you for having me, Mary B. Looking for the perfect gift for your favorite single pal or a little treat for yourself? You're going to love our line of cheeky, empowering merch for those walking a non-traditional path. We have beanies, sweatshirts, mugs, and more with phrases like, nobody's better half already whole, and designs you'll love to rock. Snag yours at marybesafer.com slash shop. You can follow Akimni on Twitter slash X at Sista underscore Theology instagram at sister theology and facebook at facebook.com slash sister theology her website is systematictheology.com. the truth table book is available wherever books are sold and you can listen to truth table and get in the word with truth table wherever you get your podcasts thanks for listening 
You can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at marybeat.safrit. And follow the podcast on Instagram at Unsuitable Podcast so you don't miss any updates and highlights. Unsuitable with Mary B. Safrit is produced by Studio Aplum. Sound engineering is by me, Mary B. Safrit. The music is by Chad Rollinson. Unsuitable with Mary B. Safrit is a production of Mary B. Safrit LLC, all rights reserved. That's all for now. Catch you on the flippity flop.